Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are in another uh, great episode, I hope, uh, in the Silver Lining Podcast. Uh, good morning, Moshe. Hi, good morning. How are you, Ariel? Very good, very good. Uh, last, in the last uh, few months, we are uh, with great statistics. Uh, And so I, I hope uh, that people really enjoy uh, what we are doing. Yeah, we're getting good feedbacks. And also, but I wanted to add, you had a birthday last mm-hmm. weekend, so congratulations. Thank you, thank you. How did you <laughs> celebrate? Uh, I will try to rest. That is good for me. And uh, with my wife and kids, it was uh, great. So okay. thank you, Moshe. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So today we have Bar Hofesh. Good morning, Bar. Good morning. Bar is one of the uh, emerging application security experts uh, that I've seen around, a very impressive individual. Uh, tell you. us a little bit about yourself, uh, Bar, your background, where you work for, what do you do today? Um, so, as you said, my name is uh, Bar Hofesh. I'm uh, the co-founder and CTO of Neuroligion. Um, currently, we're in the DUST, or Dynamic Application Security Testing Market. Um, and we're aiming uh, at uh, business logic uh, attacks, um, new and emerging um, research in uh, InfoSec, and uh, overall trying to uh, automate and make uh, all of uh, DevSecOps lives better. Okay, so No Religion was one of the more interesting startups I met uh, recently. But I know you're one of those people who don't feel comfortable talking about <laughs> themselves. A little bit about your background. Um, so I have uh, something like uh, 15 years of uh, offensive security uh, background. Um, some of it from uh, semi-governmental entities and some of it uh, just uh, my own research. Uh, I also uh, worked in uh, safety data uh, for something like six years as a CISO and CISO. System architect um, and that's uh, when I decided uh, that I want to go back to offensive uh, grabbed my uh, great friend uh, art linkov from uh, the technion and from his PhD great friend mm-hmm. and uh, together we uh, set forward to create an uh, AI powered uh, father uh, which is was the beginning of a uh, new religion. Uh, then we met uh, Shoam, currently our uh, CEO, and together we banded together to create the world's best dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Good luck for that. And we are here to talk about uh, automation of security testing as part of uh, Dev, DevSecOps. Uh, let's uh, uh, throw all the buzzwords in <laughs> at this point. So anyway, uh, as part of the DevOps, we need uh, better security testing and we need to automate them. Uh, and this is the topic of our conversation. So uh, this is what we're going to talk about. And bottom line, so why do we really need to automate the security testing? I mean, what is, uh, why can I do what I did uh, four and five uh, years ago? Tell us a little bit about the challenge itself. My best example is a company we all know, I believe, called Wix. Um, we did a panel, I think uh, even uh, with you uh, a few uh, months ago, um, where one of uh, Wix's uh, DevOps engineers um, went on the panel and talked a bit about the speed of their pipe, uh, what they're uh, doing specifically, and how, uh, how and where it meets security. 
Um, he talked about um, creating a new release uh, into production every two minutes. Hmm. Um, as much as I personally really love, love to go um, hands-on into penetration testing, uh, going over an application, try to find all the holes and vulnerabilities, um, we can't do that if there's a new release every two minutes. Even if we take the best and uh, fastest team alive and doing a caffeine-powered um, pen test cycle of uh, 24 hours, we're something like 720 builds behind when we uh, go back with our reports. Um, that means we're not actually testing the old version, we are testing ancient history. So as the old paradigm speed of development and uh, deployment has changed, then so does security need to change in that regard. And if, if we think uh, about all the development and what happened uh, really, it's not really uh, correlated or connected to the cloud. It's also the, the normal uh, development, right? Yeah, um, very true. Um, companies understood that uh, for them to provide uh, new feature or patches, even uh, critical security patches, you can't wait for four months. It makes no sense. Customers want more and consumers want more. And uh, he who release fast succeeds. And um, that's our uh, modern development way of life. Yeah. Yeah, so we talked about this in this uh, in, in this podcast a couple of times ago that we develop faster. I mean, traditional development. I'm coming from financial uh, uh, institution background. We used to release a, a version <laughs> every four months if we were lucky, and there was time we could call bar at August second. Please come at nine a.m. We are doing penetration testing, so we had time to schedule. Yes, a new a new company is not uh, Wix is one example because they are a software company. But even today, uh, uh, modern uh, financial institutions like bank they are not competing against other banks. They are competing against fintech companies. They are competing against Google Pay, Apple Pay. So they have to develop much faster. And you cannot wait for August third to wait for Bar to come and do his manual. <laughs> Uh, manual security testing, penetration testing, whatever. So we need to do this faster. So this is basically the challenge. And as you said, it's an uh, yeah, organization needs to innovate. I mean, my mother-in-law asked me when she will get the new WhatsApp feature of the does this and that. I mean, if my mother-in-law is asking me about new features, it shows how much the market is waiting for, <laughs> for new developments. Now, come on, she, she really asked me. Uh, there's a feature that uh, allows you to leave a WhatsApp group without notification. Mm. Think how many groups I can... Useful. I mean, I, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and we have a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many groups I can easily, finally <laughs> let go. Yeah, so people are sitting down and waiting for their application to be able to develop, and you're correct. You have to be fast innovate in order to, uh, to succeed in this market. So uh, this is the challenge, how in, uh, security can keep up with two deployments a minute. I mean, uh, uh, okay, so... Uh, let's talk about security automation or testing automation and how do you do it? So we have, if we're looking at the common pipe or uh, common way the development cycle works today, we have, um, we can call it a few stations where security can uh, integrate. Um, those stations are, of course, uh, beginning with the first line of code uh, written and then pushed. Um, it continues with uh, building the packaging, which is, of course, uh, usually uh, some kind of a, 
a Docker image or a virtual machine, though virtual machines are getting um, less and less uh, frequent. And uh, then we have the um, uh, ongoing testing and, of course, deployment uh, and um, uh, pre-production or for the, I don't know, brave companies out there uh, just directly to, um, to production. Mm -hmm. So and at each and every uh, of those stations, we can integrate security and to automate that um, because, uh, Moshe, as you said very nicely, we can't keep up with that. Um, so if we're looking at uh, our first station, which is uh, the first line of code being written, we have our um, static code analysis, which is usually what we will use to automate uh, security at uh, in this level. Um, what those system does are um, to verify that there aren't any uh, inherent code issues. For example, uh, you allocated memory and forgot to free it. Uh, you're using uh, uh, pointers uh, twice or um, doing all kinds of uh, silly code mistakes that might uh, later on create uh, a very nice remote code execution or uh, buffer overflows uh, in the uh, finished application. Okay, just to clarify, sorry, Ariel. At this point, you still don't have an application. You still have only the code. So the programmer finished writing a feature or a new function or something like that, and then you run the static analysis to check it. Yeah, I want also to, to ask if it also in includes the includes that uh, you put inside uh, some of your code using uh, other codes or? Uh... Um, that's a very nice question in <laughs> uh, regarding that. So um, when we test the code, we have two things to test our own code, which uh, of course makes sense, and others people code. Um, open source uh, being a very major part of our uh, modern development, I would say that uh, even one of the most major way, uh, major uh, technologies or major innovations um, uh, that we've got uh, in the last few years uh, is the really amazing embrace yeah. Um, no one is going to create a new web framework uh, by themselves. No one's going to create a new uh, database wrapper by themselves. So we use the open source uh, libraries and those have vulnerabilities. Yeah. Uh, just like our code, uh, those are not some magical fairies that create the uh, third party uh, libraries. And so they also should be checked. Um, we're talking about the uh, open code scanning. Uh, we have lots of uh, very known uh, companies in those fields. Uh, there's, of course, the, uh, you know, Sneak, White Source. Um, I think that uh, Black Duck uh, also does that. It's, uh, this is the opportunity to say that the next episode that we record will be with Sneak the next of, uh, yeah. later on this month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so when we test our own code, uh, using our uh, the static analysis test uh, code at uh, the code testing, uh, we will also 100% want to make sure that third-party libraries are also verified. Mm -hmm. um, in those cases, usually the interesting thing is that we're going to check for known uh, CVEs and known issues, and uh, those do not include uh, situations where our third-party library does not actually provide the source code. So there are I hope rare cases 
um, where you get some kind of a black box, um, some kind of a DLL or a, a proprietary library that you need to use, uh, but you don't have uh, access to that code. In those cases, there are uh, other options um, where you will run uh, binary analysis. Again, that's I wouldn't call it the code stage, but it's um, just a bit after uh, because it's still you don't have the application. It's still where you're only looking at uh, files uh, on your computer. But binary analysis is also uh, something, and there are um, uh, pretty nice solutions for that out there. Okay. So okay. this is step one. <laughs> <laughs> this is step one. So we have uh, basically we have uh, developed the code. We are still haven't run it or we still haven't built any version. But uh, first of all, we're checking it for our own mistakes. Uh, didn't release a memory uh, uh, buffer. We didn't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we didn't uh, do a screening of input into an input field. Right. Those are the examples. And we checked the third-party software. Uh, which is usually an open source. Mm -hmm. Out of, by the way, uh, out of your uh, experience, how, how much percent of the code that you release is uh, is uh, is built on top of an open source uh, from others? Wow, um, I believe that the uh, representative from Sneak will be uh, a much <laughs> uh, better. Uh, can give a much better answer the, for the, that. The statistics, I think, is over uh, fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, I think that most of what of yeah. the code that we release today is open source. Uh, again, we usually just add a few features on top of the uh, open source basis that we're using. Okay, so the next stage. The next stage is the packaging or um, creating a, something that we can uh, uh, later on call an application. Um, usually that means uh, packaging it into um, some kind of a container or uh, a Docker container, um, creating uh, and basically pulling an operating system uh, around that. And that's our second, uh, our second step or second stage. Um, here, there are multiple things that could go wrong. First of all, um, last time I checked, uh, there aren't that much companies that actually create their own uh, operating systems. And even those, uh, not including Microsoft, uh, use some kind of an open source kernel or some third libraries. And um, if we're looking at uh, the Linux operating system, uh, we have um, I think most of the operating system, not including the kernel, are not specifically related to the Linux foundation. So everyone can create, for example, um, the IP config uh, binary, just pull it from somewhere, install it on Ubuntu. It's a decent that release on uh, Arch Linux. It's that, I don't know, XYZ release. And each and every one of those are a different version uh, coming from different sources. And each and every one of those might also be vulnerable. Um, at this stage, though, we're not looking at code. We're looking at uh, uh, closed packages already uh, compiled, uh, linked. And we're looking at the operating system at large. Um, this takes us back a bit to the days of uh, uh, old IT and uh, operating system hardening. But those rules still apply because, you know, we're basically just uh, using an operating system. 
And uh, that's our stage two. Verify packages, make sure that our uh, security policies are in place, um, that everything that we configured, uh, be it from uh, file system uh, permissions to uh, which processes run or, on our Docker. And I know that usually people like to say, yeah, uh, our own application is PID1 or the only process running on the Docker, but it's never the truth. Or at least if it is, there are uh, a few other processes also running. And um, each and every one of those are um, basically a door to um, a breach. Yeah. Okay, so here we are talking less about the application itself. We're talking about the infrastructure that you set up in order to put, to to deploy the application. And here we're talking about uh, starting from the Linux security, the container security, the separation between processes, building the OS hardened and patched and uh, all of those. Those are basically the testing that you need to do during before you deploy the code into this uh, into this machine. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there are so many bridges that <laughs> right now, yeah. Yeah, the, the, that's true. Um, even if you make your um, application 100% secure, not that there is such thing, but let's uh, live in an utopian world for a moment. Um, I managed to secure my application. No breaches will be uh, originated from it. Um, Shellshock, for example, one of the um, one of the most interesting uh, um, security vulnerabilities that we saw, uh, didn't actually affect uh, um, the actual uh, applications as it was uh, a bash uh, issue. So every application that piped some kind of a value through bash uh, were susceptible to this attack. So um, enough that you uh, just write logs uh, into uh, std out into your shell or something like that you would be um, you will be susceptible uh, you're using apache you're using uh, nginx susceptible yeah. um, if we're talking about um, uh, heartbleed uh, open ssl issue um, enough that your application was running and accepting connection over https that's it uh, everyone can just uh, dump the uh, memory from your server and access everything that it has so it's really is important um, to make sure that the infrastructure that your application sits on is at least as secured as your application okay so we are checking the underlying infrastructure and once we verify it's secure then comes the deployment phase what do you do next when you have the application so we're at a stage where the application is actually live and uh, we can start talking with it. Um, when that stage comes, then uh, that, that is the time for uh, dynamic application security testing or dust. Um, there are a few things that we can do here. Um, one is, of course, to run your uh, standard uh, crawler, go over the application um, and start uh, attacking all the parameters. Um, in a bit of more modern uh, applications, uh, you will need also to test API calls. So um, REST APIs, web services, SOAP, JSON, there is um, a lot of uh, layers to what current APIs are uh, using. And all of that should be uh, checked and verified. 
Sometimes your application will be uh, a nice website. On others, it will be just a faceless uh, API gateway. So um, for each and every of those, we will need to configure a specific um, uh, testing profile, understand what's going on there. Uh, but again, the most amazing thing about automation is that we just need to do it once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, go going back, when you finish uh, developing, you have this static analysis or uh, SAST, which basically check your uh, code. It doesn't run it, it uh, read it. It's uh, and tells you, okay, over here you didn't do that. And over here. by the way, uh, if you get some kind of a uh, high severity, what do organization do usually? Drop the build and send it back to the developers. So and that that's an interesting thing. Um, depends who decide. Yeah, <laughs> it really it really depends uh, on each organization and their own security policy. I saw organizations that uh, decides that their failure strategy is any finding, even a low severity one, and I saw organizations that um, will only alert even on high findings high severity findings, and then decide uh, after reviewing the finding uh, if it's uh, uh, build stoppable or not. Usually after it's already been uh, deployed into at least a pre-prod or staging environment. Okay, yeah. that's because uh, static analysis often have uh, false positive, right? Because sometimes you do security on a different layer, on the web server, on, the, on your WAF, on the, somewhere else. That, that's yeah. true, and um, also because um, of the most uh, important DevOps rule, um, you're here to enable, not to block. So uh, the least you're actually stopping developers in doing what they do, the better. And if you can take the hit or say, all right, I'm living with this uh, specific vulnerability live until we fix it, then it's up to you to do the threat, uh, threat analysis and threat management. Okay. So, uh, and after that, we build the, the version. Now we have a build, we deploy it to the container, VM, whatever. And now we have uh, some kind of a deployment. Then we test, then we do, uh, we test the infrastructure, of course. And then we do dynamic analysis, which is basically running the application and checking in real time what are the vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. what, what do you say, uh, who's more popular, uh, dynamic analysis or static analysis? I know that uh, uh, in Utopia, you need them both, but sometimes organizations are making uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. What is more popular? So, um, you know, coming from a company that does uh, dynamic application security testing, um, I don't mind saying that currently SAST or static application security testing is something around 70% of the market while mm -hmm. Dust is uh, 30%. Um, reason, reason being is that um, static application security testing can be uh, integrated even when you don't have a DevOps culture. Even if you don't have automation, it will just hook up into your developer's um, IDE and will scan the code and give you results. So um, using uh, dynamic application security testing or even uh, the more uh, modern things like um, IAST or RASP, um, 
are really depending on the um, security maturity of the organization. Mm-hmm. Okay, so SAST is more popular among enterprises even if they are not fast and, and doing DevOps and uh, dynamic analysis usually kicks in when the organization is mature, automated and does a lot of deployment so uh, they integrate with also dynamic analysis. My feeling, by the way, was a bit different because I see so many dynamic analysis tools that are even open source and I see much... fewer numbers of say, static analysis and it's usually not open source it's usually big companies with uh, very expensive products uh, I think it's, it's it's changing this is the time I think that uh, mm-hmm. uh, I also uh, feel that this uh, paradigm is changing mm-hmm. um, the thing is that uh, up through the big emergence of DevOps uh, dynamic application security testing or web scanners uh, as it was called, Uh, were the sole responsibility of the security teams. Uh, so, uh, you know, looking at our example uh, from the beginning of the uh, interview, it was that um, uh, coming to some kind of a big enterprise, doing your annual PT or biannual PT, and uh, uh, usually those people, those teams, uh, would be using uh, um, those uh, scanners. And not that organization itself. Okay. And you mentioned now uh, AI asked and RASP, and that's the time to uh, put them on the map and explain them exactly. So up until now, we had a static analysis and dynamic analysis. Now we have a new emerging AI asked application interactive security testing. What is it about? And uh, tell us a little bit about the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are uh, two new additions, not that new already, but um, it's still an emerging market. Uh, you have the interactive application security testing and you have the RASP, which is a real-time uh, application, uh, self-application self protection, uh, if I remember the, uh, the wording correctly. Um, It becomes hard everybody creates their own uh, <laughs> acronyms yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the heart of those technologies uh, are the following so I asked uh, basically gives you the ability to both instrument the code or pick at the actual code and also uh, try and trace and verify the application while it's in runtime so uh, you get both uh, the best of both worlds where both. you Both is dynamic and static analysis. Ex- yeah, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can actually see both code and uh, how the application behaves at runtime. But from the flip side, you also get the worst of both worlds, which is uh, your language independent. And not all languages can be uh, properly uh, instrumented. Um, static uh, static uh, languages, for example, C, as far as I'm aware, even C++, can't be instrumented, um, can be debugged maybe, but not in the uh, way that you can do it with uh, Java or .NET, uh, etc. Um, so it's, uh, it's still emerging and... It requires market education. We are not sure if it will kick in or not, right? Yeah. That's the, basically it because... If, if, if you saw uh, Barre face right now... <laughs> yeah, we had a conversation of that before. Uh, and again, uh, 
talk when you look at the you know pros and cons it seems like a great idea i mean you you have both the good of both worlds as bar uh, was mentioning but again as we always know new technologies has some kind of barriers and against instrumenting a new technology installing an agent mm-hmm. uh, integrating into your application yeah uh, so we're not sure yet uh, where it's going yeah. where it's going and uh, <laughs> Again, things remain to be seen. Okay, uh, uh, this was uh, IAST. That was IAST. Uh, RASP. So, um, RASP. Um, well, RASP. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked before uh, about my uh, uh, vigilant uh, ideas about uh, WAFs in general. Well, application firewalls. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my strong feelings are the same for RASP. Um, we said, all right, um, w- when looking at uh, WAF or web application firewalls, uh, the main concept is, all right, let's not fix the problem at, at, at its root cause. Uh, let's create a plaster around that or a Band-Aid and uh, hope that no one can bypass the WAF. Um, in Rust, we, we took the same uh, approach and said, all right, but let's not create that in a centralized way in the organization. Let's put, uh, put each and every of those uh, little WAFs into the application code. So you bundled your application with some kind of a third library that supposedly should uh, stop attacks. But again, you're not actually handling uh, the root cause. Your application is still vulnerable. Um, you're just masking it. Uh, and the moment you have a new technique, a new WAF bypass, and those are uh, a weekly occurrence, uh, even more uh, lately, then the application isn't secure and you get a breach. But you don't know that you have this problem because you can't even test your application without the WAF interference because now it's inside your application. Mm-hmm. So just to emphasize, we used to have a web application firewalls, which was usually external to the web server. It was usually proxied or some kind of DNS redirection. Uh, uh, this was traditionally. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, because of that, we had, uh, we were, there were many problems fix, uh, talking about routing, latency, and stuff like this. And of course, the WAF was, uh, you didn't see, didn't have good visualization into your application. Mm-hmm. So we moved the WAF into the application, to the application server itself, into the web server. It's now more integrated. It has better visibility. Mm-hmm. We have less routing or latency problems, but we have something that is integrated deeply into our application, mm-hmm. and we need to manage that, the risk of that. This is basically the story around Rust, right? Well, one good thing uh, about Rust that I really uh, feel that should be said um, is that looking at modern deployments and modern infrastructure, we're moving away, uh, away farther and farther from uh, uh, the old uh, idea of a perimeter. And because each and every of our applications are now kind of a, a secluded island, um, or uh, a bunch of secluded islands, if we're talking about microservices, then each of those should have some kind of a capability to defend itself. Um, so I, I get the idea behind that, and it makes sense, but maybe in a different way. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One um, last question from my end about this, all of this pipeline of security testing. Do you feel, okay, so we talked about automation of this and automation of that and automation of uh, everything. And uh, do you feel that there is still a place for a good old traditional uh, manual penetration test work 
on the website once, maybe once in a year or something like that? I mean, is there still room for that? Or penet manual penetration test is a thing of the past? So that's a loaded question. Um, and I know I'm going to get people angry at me. <laughs> uh, but um, I think that as automation becoming more and more frequent and more and more advanced and our uh, tools becomes more and more advanced, we're looking at um, manual penetration testing as a thing of the, of the past, at least in the way that it's being done now. Um, it makes no sense other than uh, because some, uh, I don't know, PCI organization decided that you should have an annual PT uh, to actually do it. It's now became just a, um, a thing of compliance. They decided that a human should do it, so a human does that. Um, but there is still one thing that I think, at least for now, will be uh, um, the realm of humans, uh, which is the actual advanced research. Um, finding those uh, cutting edge uh, cases and uh, uh, business logic attacks that uh, currently uh, can't be automated and um, needs this uh, creative spark that only human has. Yeah, well, still. Yeah. <laughs> still. well, basically what you're saying, in order to scan an application and find vulnerability, you don't need to do this manual. But if you want to call the customer support and try to get them to whitelist your IP so you can do further stuff, this is, sometimes we call this as red teaming, like mm -hmm. check all the physical and also the social engineering aspects of the protection of the and this is the place for manual penetration test. This is where you're going? No, no, I think uh, uh, something, uh, so, something else, right? Uh, <laughs> no, no, so uh, automation of red teams, uh, there are lots of companies that already do that. Uh, mm -hmm. If we're talking about, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, companies S like... SafeBridge, SafeBridge, Samulate, Psysis, those companies create a very nice uh, automated red teaming. Uh, they can even automate uh, social engineering. They uh, automate uh, parallel movement and uh, they can do anything from going from st starting from outside the organization, getting in via uh, an email. Uh, I don't know, uh, breaching through a, some kind of a, a document macro and then uh, taking control of the local uh, AD. So even that's uh, already being automated. automated. Okay, so you're saying, okay, manual is only for the top high <laughs> for, end exactly. of the things. Okay, interesting view of things. <laughs> Last words about security testing before I summarize. Um, so if you're asking me where we were going currently, uh, I think that the uh, future uh, is in getting closer and closer to the developers. Um, security teams are going to uh, disappear, at least from my uh, point of view, where uh, developers will start to really own the security of their solution. I think that uh, looking at an organization and expecting the CISO uh, or the CISO office to um, actually take into account the threat modeling of the application they're creating is, is nonsense. No, the CISO can't do that. Um, that should be under the CTO. So um, the especially software vendors um, should really start handling security at the developer level and not in the uh, whole organization security concept. 
this is how the dev devopsec is called devsecops mm-hmm. DevSecOps. Uh, is is, mm-hmm. is 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 coming from right uh, exactly okay mm-hmm. so i think we should have a deep uh, drive how we we make a, a new team you know because uh, devops they are throwing into them everything <laughs> I, I, in one of our groups i saw uh, you know a devops uh, run a database and okay we have problem what we do so mm-hmm. they are throwing a lot of things to the devops and uh, it should be done uh, in a in a good way in the, in the right way okay mm-hmm. i will use this opportunity to, uh, to remind uh, not to remind to to uh, To share that uh, last week I attended a new class from the Cloud Security Alliance, which is about DevSecOps, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it was an amazing class, uh, three days of uh, nine different labs, running like 10 different uh, open source tools, starting from uh, building p- secure pipelines, uh, doing threat hunting, uh, doing incident response, uh, excellent uh, Excellent way of increasing your DevSec uh, op, uh, knowledge. And we'll have more, uh, I think we'll have more uh, episodes about, uh, about this. Okay. So summarizing automation of security testing, why you need to automate? Because companies develop faster. And how you do you automate? First of all, when uh, you create, first of all, the programmer writes a, a new code, a new function, there's a new uh, build. You run static analysis, which basically reads the code and examine it. Then when it's, uh, uh, if everything is okay, you create basically the infrastructure to deploy and you create your version. This is time to check your infrastructure by uh, verifying that it's hard and it's secured, it's patched, all of those stuff. And then you uh, verify that the code is secure by running dynamic analysis, which is basically running the application and testing it for vulnerabilities by uh, stress loading it, trying different inputs, trying to uh, uh, manipulate uh, the application somehow. Uh, tra- dynamic and stati- uh, dynamic, uh, dynamic analysis and static analysis are like the traditional ways to do it. Now we have emerging uh, application interactive IAST uh, security testing, which is uh, might or might not take over those, like uh, as we said, mm-hmm. the best of uh, both worlds, also the worst of both worlds. And then we deploy the application. We have runtime. This is where we uh, activate web application firewalls or the new RASP, which is uh, like an application firewall that is embedded into the, uh, into the code itself. And this is our ongoing uh, monitoring and protection. This is basically the pipeline of mm-hmm. uh, application security correctly. Very nicely put. I, I love uh, Moshe Samarazi. It, make, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> Perfect. So it was very interesting, Bar. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And also thank you to all our listeners. <laughs>